chat with you. I'm running a little crazy this weekend. My brother got married this weekend. Yes. So half the people in the room are my family members. <laughs> Do you recognize people who look just like me? That's It's not some weird religious thing. That's just that's what's going on. Um, no, welcome to Great Baptist Church. Really excited um, to see most of you. Um, <laughs> Some announcements this morning before we get started. So we are doing Wednesday Bible study, uh, and I am, God willing, intending to be there again this week. Uh, so I really appreciate y'all bearing with me. Some of y'all who showed up and it was canceled uh, with all the stuff going on with the baby. Uh, praise God, no, nothing, uh, nothing different there. She's still home. She's still doing well. Um, we are also. I also asked if I could share this, but uh, Elena's mom. Uh, was it this week? Found out. Found out this week that she's cleared of, of a very aggressive form of cancer that she's been battling. So um, praise God for that. Um, Joshua, am I missing anything? He can't hear me. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you, Lewis. Uh, there is not Shower Friday this week. Uh, no Shower Friday this week. That's a staffing issue. I'm going to New Hampshire. Phil's in Yellowstone and turned his phone off, it's a mess. Um, so no Shower Friday this week. Uh, if I, I will say, if, if you're experiencing homelessness, if you need um, clothes, food, come talk to me afterward and we can talk through resources and we can give, give what we have today too. Um, but let me go ahead and get started uh, here and, and let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. God, each and every one of us. I, I know the reasons for being here are varied. Lord, some of us came into the room this morning with needs. Some of us, because of family, Lord, some of us um, just seeking you. God, I pray that regardless of why we decided to be here, Lord, that we would leave knowing exactly why you decided to bring us here. God, you wouldn't let us leave without changing our hearts and minds in every way we most deeply need to be changed. Lord, that we would be able to communion with you today. God, I am always amazed both at how big you are, Lord of the universe, and yet how small you become to come meet with us here in, in this small room downtown. God, to come into each of our lives, into our daily quotidian mess, God, to dwell richly among us, as you do in the most important places and people in the world. God, we praise you for your humility. God, we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Meg? Um, I'm Rachel, but apparently I'm Meg today, so um, you can all call me that. Um, so, um... You know, I'm really, I'm really thankful um, this morning. I had a very early day, um, and as I was driving um, from Mississippi over here, um, I was, um, you know, able to watch the sunrise and actually, you know, see how glorious our God is, and um, just, just praise Him for that. So, um, as we think about how big God is and um, what He's done for us, um, I just want us to dwell on that as we're reading our scripture reading. So. Um, I don't know what comes first. <laughs> okay, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The permanent proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares 
there is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice, voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The heavens are telling the glory of God. In the heavens he has set a tent for the summit, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its serving to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The heavens are telling the glory of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the world the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The heavens are telling the glory of God. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant born. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can detect their errors? Clearly from whom faults. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Keep back your servant also from the insolent. Do not let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The heavens are telling the glory of God.
we are forgiven, and it is by dying that we are born into everlasting life. Forgive us, O Lord, help us to press on, because you made us your own. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope. It is not that we have already reached the goal, but that we press on to make it our own, because Christ Jesus has made us his own. Through him you are forgiven, you are welcome, you are loved. Let us rejoice together and give praise to the Lord, our rock and our redeemer. God, God our beloved, you set before us the goal of new life in Christ. May we live in the power of his resurrection and bring forth the fruit of your gentle and loving rule. Amen. Amen. songs that we're going to sing today speaks about praising God and even when we don't raise our voices if no one were to proclaim the glory of God even the very rocks would cry out it says that in Luke 19 um, God is worthy and he's made us and we get to rejoice to be able to worship so if you're able to stand please join with me in worship this morning Yeah. 
Father, you are worthy of praise. You're worthy of all that we can give of ourselves to you. Lord. Uh, all that we have is from you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of being here together, gathering together to hear your word. Thank you for your word this morning. Lord, take uh, that which we have and resources and our gifts, our time and our talents, Father, and take them and multiply them for your kingdom. This work that you've called us to, these works that you've prepared before the foundation of the earth that we should walk in them. We bless you, Father. Thank you, in Jesus' name we ask it.
Bobby. Good morning. Um, please go with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew. Uh, and this is the time in the service where we have an option of dismissing kids upstairs. Um, Matthew chapter 14. If you raise your hand, someone will probably bring you a Bible. It's a good chance. Uh, we've been in a series of the book of Matthew for some time now. Uh, to understand the book of Matthew, what you have to understand is this. All the kingdoms and the great empires of the world, Rome, Greece, Persia, in Matthew's mind, there's really only two kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of men. And Matthew is eager to draw your focus away from the kingdoms of this world to draw you into the kingdom of God and its king. Over and over again throughout the chapters we've been preaching, Jesus repeats the phrase, The kingdom of heaven is like, like a treasure in a field, like a small pearl worth everything, like a mustard seed, like leaven and flour, like a farmer who casts his seed on the road and the field alike, and who waits all season to pull any weeds, lest any wheat be lost. The kingdom of God then is filled with life and growth. The king is magnanimous and gives out everything he finds most valuable to anyone without finding fault. And those who receive his word grow and bear fruit to nourish themselves and the people around them. His kingdom is small and sometimes has dirt on it. But it's worth more than any other fine thing you could possibly hold on to. Last week we saw Matthew, he juxtaposes, uh, lit, lit majors love Using that word, it, it helps us feel better about our college degrees being largely worthless. Um, Matthew juxtaposes uh, the two people who are kings in Jerusalem and the two feasts to show us how upside down, how, how completely unlike anything we've known the king and the kingdom of heaven are. Herod's palace feast turns into this nightmare of fear and death, but Jesus' feast in the wilderness is one that heals, nourishes, and satisfies his people. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who cares deeply and serves his people, even if he is in mourning. This week we are witness to a miracle, one that is meant to give us courage in the dark nights of the soul. So read with me Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. If you were able to stand, please do for the reading of the word. Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by the boat this time, it was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came out to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, For you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, please be seated. Pray with me briefly. Father God, I pray as I always do. Lord, just that what you administer to people's hearts and minds this morning would be your truth from your word today. God, because we know your truth will set us free, and we desperately long to be free. We pray this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. This passage as a whole, it's about God giving us strength to let go. John Foreman, probably my favorite singer-songwriter, that's right, it's not Taylor Swift, it is in fact John Foreman, uh, says it this way. 
He says, O love, light the way home. Light up my soul. I choose mercy instead of control. My life is on loan. Forgive and let go. I embrace a belief I don't know. What a beautiful sound to lay your life down. Your forgiveness is where I am found. Here in your arms, I finally let down. I am lightning and you are the ground. Give me strength to let go. Won't you give me the strength to surrender? Come on, give me the strength to stop holding on. I've been holding on so long. Won't you give me strength to let go? Immediately, the passage says several times, immediately Jesus sends the crowds away. And not just the crowds, but the disciples too. Uh, for two reasons. One, because he's human. And he had only heard, lest we forget, that morning that his cousin had been killed brutally and unfairly. And he had not yet had a moment to himself to mourn that loss. The second reason John tells us in a parallel passage was that the crowd had actually seized him and were attempting to make him king by force. So in sending the crowds away, we see Jesus' humanity and his humility, both. Humility because Christ is really the only person in history who actually deserves power as opposed to merely holding it. Rule, worship, and all he ever does is give it away to the least of these because to him power is not a thing to be grasped. I have not known a king or a ruler like that on earth. How strange and wonderful the king of heaven is. How strong he is and how easily he lets go. Humility and humanity. Humanity because he needs to rest. He needs to stop and step away to stop working. Jesus, God incarnate, has limits and needed to rest. What about you? Jesus is already in the wilderness, if you remember from last week, even though the crowd followed him, he's trying to get away. He heals them because of our word that we would use in English is gut-wrenching compassion. But Jesus, after he sends everyone away, he goes even deeper into the forgotten places of the world, up a mountain to be alone, which is typically what I have to do to kill him too, out of cell service somewhere. Um, the new and greater Moses miraculously feeding the people of God in the wilderness, then climbing a mountain to commune with his father. How strong he is to admit his own need, his own limitation, his own weakness. How strong he is to empty himself enough to even enter into human weakness. And how rarely do we do either? Jesus needed time in silence, solitude, and prayer, even if the only time he could get was the middle of the night. It's a need for us, too. Silence, solitude, prayer. Whether or not we recognize that need in ourselves. Stepping away from work, stepping away from ministry, even, for each of us, is a reminder that we are not necessary for the work of God in the world. It takes recognizing your own smallness, your own limitations, and your own weakness to see the strength, enormity, and power of the Lord. If Jesus needs time to rest, so do we. We are not called to enter into the work of the Lord in the world because he needs us to do his will. We are called to enter into the work of the Lord so that we, his children, can have the joy, as children often find, in entering into the work of their Father in the world. If Jesus, again, in his humanity, needed to take a moment of rest and silence, so do we. And for each of us, God gives us gifts of Sabbath and fasting so that we can step away from the screens, from the calls, from all the things which clawed our attention, just to focus on what is most important. So we see modeled here in Jesus' own life the very same lesson that he is about to teach his disciples through miraculous signs. His disciples, too, are about to hit their own personal limits in a very different sort of way. They worked all day, 
And at the end of the day, Jesus sends them away because he needs time in solitude. So the disciples decide to leave the same way they came. They board a boat. I'm guessing this is probably Peter's boat. Travel is like surgery. There's never a time where it's completely safe. This is how car rental places make their money. By selling you insurance that you probably don't need. Probably. Sometimes you travel and everything goes well. The car has no problems, all the tires stay inflated, the plane has no turbulence, you arrive on time and unharmed. Sometimes though, uh, what happened to us even this week, your flight gets canceled, and what was supposed to be a quick trip stretches on for hours, and you find yourself awake in the middle of the night. Peter would have known every inch of that boat, every flaw, he sailed, I think, a thousand times. The text tells us the wind was against them. What are you going to do? Galilee, like the Midwestern U.S., it's, it's famous for these fierce storms that kick up all at once. In both places, it's because of the mountains to the west and the way the wind and the clouds are pushed into the upper atmosphere around them. The kind of storm can be frightening on land. And Peter is not on land. By the fourth watch of the night, he's out in the middle of the sea and he's rowing against the wind, our passage tells us. In a time and place where there are no clocks or phones or wristwatches, the only way you would be able to tell what time it is in the middle of the night is by the changing of the city guard, of the watchmen. In Jerusalem, they would trade off every three hours. The first watch would be about dinner. When the disciples were passing out bread and loaves, witness to an incredible, incredible miracle of the Lord, worshiping and praising God for his provision. That was the first watch of the night. The second watch would have been from around 9 to midnight, which is usually about the time that I'm falling asleep. Warm in my bed, as I'm sure the disciples wished they were, as they were boarding the ship and realizing just how far away from home they actually were. The third watch of the night is about midnight to three, which are miserable hours if rain kicks up and you have nothing to cover you, and it's dark and it's cold. Then if the wind's against you, you can't use your sails, and so what becomes a useful mode of transportation all of a sudden is a liability and you have to row. So we find it that Matthew, the tax collector, think office job, is handed an oar by Peter, the fisherman, and told it's probably just a bit of rain. I hope it won't get any worse. Let's just get to the other side as quickly as we can. The fourth watch of the night is about 3, 4 in the morning. The storm did get worse, and they're rowing at this point against the winds. I rowed against the wind not too long ago. Adam and Meg, bless them, uh, got us some time on in their parents' lake house. Uh, but one day I was out on the lake in a kayak and a storm rolled in suddenly. The thing about going against the wind out on the water is that not only do, do your hull and your oar start acting like sails against you, but the water starts to move with the wind past you. It gives you the illusion of motion, even if you know for a fact you're sitting still, which makes it nearly impossible to tell how fast you're actually going or if you are moving at all. It creates this kind of desperate feeling, especially as lightning flashes and you suddenly realize that you are the tallest thing for miles around out on the water. I'm sure by the fourth watch, even Peter would have been exhausted, panicked, and desperate. I can't imagine how the others would have felt who weren't even used to the water, many of them. Oh, Peter. If you were the oldest of just a few fishermen, out of a group of people, made up partly of finance workers and seminary students and political rad radicals, whether or not you wish to be, you become in charge. <laughs> Peter would have been the one toward whom everyone is looking, subtle, sideways glances to know what to do and when to panic. Peter's out on the water with a boat full of passengers and responsibilities on what was probably one of the worst and longest, most frightening nights of his life. And now, 
it was fourth watch. I've seen the fourth watch at night more than I would like to over the past few months. And when you're a father, people look toward you, subtle and sideways glances, to know what to do and when to panic. The fourth watch, again around 3 a.m., is when you start needing help, whether or not you know to ask for it. You never intend to be out, of, out at sea or up out of your bed in the fourth watch of the night. You only do so when something's wrong, when some kind of wind is against you in life. The fourth watch is for struggle, for those who watch or weep or both. Most recently, I was up in the fourth watch of the night with the uh, baby who was crying earlier. Before we really knew what was wrong or if it could be fixed, she had been unable to eat for about four days, and so I sat, found myself up in the middle of the night last week, far from home, holding my daughter who was starving and in pain. In the fourth watch, you begin to wonder if you're going to make it home at all again. There's no prayer of the church, which in the liturgy of the hours, it would have been prayed in the middle of the night. It's called Compline. The prayer goes partly like this. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night. And give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary. Bless the dying. Soothe the suffering. Pity the afflicted. Shield the joyous. And all for your love's sake. Amen. In the fourth watch, the prayer our faith tradition gives us is to ask the Lord to watch beside us. And having been there recently, I'll tell you, in the fourth watch, your heart searches for this prayer, whether you intend to pray or not. What you need in those moments of fear and panic, when you don't know how far you have left to go, or how fast you're moving, or if you're moving at all, or if you're even going to make it, what you need is someone else to be there and stand watch with you. And we serve a God who wonderfully, faithfully, oftentimes in our passage we find immediately, gives us what we need. At first when Jesus shows up, his disciples think he's a ghost. And they don't fully believe him when he tells them, it's him, it's me, it's not a ghost. Peter's statement echoes the serpents in the garden. He says, Jesus, if it's you. If your word is true, if I can trust you, which is a question I think all of us ask from time to time, if we can trust your word, O oh Lord, show us. For Peter, it makes sense. They uh, left Jesus back on the shore hours ago. It makes sense that he wasn't expecting him to walk up. Uh, for us, though, why do we never expect Jesus to be there in the fourth watch? When your sin finally catches up with you and all of a sudden you're working through instead of honor among the people you know, shame and damage. When you feel abandoned, like you can't trust anyone with your troubles or no one even wants to listen. When you're in the hospital getting news that changes everything, we always think that we are the furthest place away from God. But then usually, in some sort of way, oftentimes miraculously, he shows up. Somehow his right hand is still there to guide you, as we sang in the song earlier. I know in our life through these past few months, we had tons of people popping up on our phones in the hospital, checking on us, offering help, giving help without offering when we weren't able to tell them what we actually needed. <laughs> Annie had two friends call her out of the blue just to tell her that God had brought us to mind recently and they had no idea why, and she was able to tell them why. But in the passage, there's no reason Jesus should be on that boat except that his friends needed him in that hour. I don't know if anyone else is confused by this miracle. I probably am the only one overthinking this to this degree. Uh, most miracles are signs of something God is doing more broadly in the world, all the time. God is always turning water into wine. The miracle was that he did it instantaneously. God is always healing people. God is always bringing us together. But here in this passage, the miracle just seems to me to be just to, to meet a need. Jesus went out to them because they were in trouble, which I suppose in its own way is something that God does all the time. 
And it was the fourth watch, and they were afraid. He came out just to say, take heart, which is essentially to say, it's going to be okay. In our passage, two things, Jesus says, stand out to me. One, when they think he's a ghost and he tells them, it's me. What he actually says there is the same thing God told Moses when Moses asked him his name. He knew in that moment of panic, what they needed to know was that he's God. Something more than human, not less than human. Not an illusion, or in our day, what we often think, not just an object of faith, but a real person, really there to help. The second thing Jesus says that stands out to me is when he tells them to take courage. And the reason it stands out to me is it's that this is something Jesus says often. And the reason, the other reason it stands out is, is what he always seems to say or imply with it when he says this. Jesus is always telling people to take courage in many places throughout the scripture. And always for the same reason. He says, take courage because I'll go with you. Take courage because I'm, I'm here. He says it to the paralytic right before he asks him to stand. <clears throat> Take courage. He says it to the disciples right before he's arrested and dies on a cross. He says, Take courage. I'll be with you. He says it to Paul before Paul goes into prison himself. Take courage. I'll go with you. Before Jesus asks us to do frightening things, he usually makes us a simple promise. He says, take courage, take heart, I'll be right here. I do this a lot as a dad. Every time I ask my son, or every time, uh, yeah, every time my son has to do anything frightening, usually this happens. Most recently, uh, I was asking a girl to dance at my brother's wedding yesterday. <laughs> so that's an issue. Um, <laughs> he was nervous, not the first time. Second time, though, he asked me to go with him. And that was all he needed. He didn't need me to do anything. He just wanted me to go with him and stand a little ways behind him. I told him, it's okay. Go ahead. I'm right here. I missed that as an adult. I mean, yeah, my dad's here today. But, you know, he's not always here. <laughs> I've had to do a lot of frightening things by myself. Uh, just in the past year or so, I've been doing a lot of watching through long nights. Uh, I know that what the psalmist means when he talks about waiting on the Lord like a watchman for the morning. But this passage shows us we're never really alone. And it shows us God is able to sustain us through even more adversity than we thought possible. Even more danger and peril and unpleasantness than what we were already going through. Have you ever thought about why Peter asked to get out of the boat? It's kind of a bizarre request. This picture has been in my mind all week. Honestly, I was trying to figure out. I was a little panicked myself. I was like, I can't go preach a sermon on this and not know the answer to why he asked to get out of the boat. This image has been with me, this picture, all week. Peter clutching the side rail of the ship because it's pitching violently in the wind and the waves. White knuckle grip, shouting, and the request that comes out of his mouth is, Can I let go? He's probably been terrified all night of losing someone off the side of the ship. And yet, here he is asking Jesus if he's able to walk out on the water with the storm still raging. Anyone who's ever looked, who, who's ever been looked to, who's ever held a position of responsibility in the fourth watch of the night knows Peter's main desire is summed up in those two words in verse 28. Command me. Again, the eldest one of the fishermen, he would probably have been the one shouting orders all night, everyone looking to him to know what to do, trying to keep everyone calm. He has had to be the strong one. He is asking Jesus if he is able to let go. He wants someone else to be in command. And Jesus performs yet another miracle that day, letting Peter walk on the water without being overwhelmed. Peter panicking and falling that should not surprise us. That's what we should expect the end of this story to be, is him falling into the water. What should surprise us is his being able to let go in the first place. And then what we should see is that Jesus picks him up. That's what we should surprise us. 
makes him stand again miraculously, not only in that boat, but in the sea itself, in the very midst of the storm. I hope you see that this choice Peter makes is a familiar choice in each and every one of our lives. There is often, through our days, a, a choice between mercy and control. Mercy and control. Think about confession. The moment you finally admit that you have done something wrong, or that you have made a mistake which has hurt people around you, in confession, you lose a lot of control. You lose control of people's, people's perceptions of you, people's opinions of you. At that point, they don't just know you on Facebook. They know you in truth. You lose a lot of control, but what you gain is a chance to be forgiven, to be fully known and yet somehow also fully loved. Or think about friendship community within a church, which always begins with vulnerability. It doesn't make any sense to let go of the mask you wear with everyone else at work and around town unless you're willing to risk believing that Jesus just might be there <coughs> to catch you so you don't get completely overwhelmed. Think about the incarnation in the first place, Christ leaving his throne, emptying himself, a lot of faith is represented in this idea of letting go. I think many of us, especially through the past several years, have been holding on to something, grasping it as tightly as we can, thinking that if we let go, we're going to go under. A lot of faith is represented in the idea of letting go. There is a time to stand firm. There's also a time to let go. We need to know Christ is with us. We need to know he's God, and we need to know that we can let go. At some point in your life, the winds are going to be against you. At some point, you'll be up at the fourth watch holding someone, watching their breathing. At some point, you'll be the person we pray for in Compline. You'll be the one who works or watches or weeps this night. You'll be sick or weary or dying or suffering or afflicted, or joyous. Whatever it is that keeps you up, at some point you will be the one in the boat, not knowing when it will end, or whether it will end, or how, but at every point you are going to need the Lord to stand watch with you. At every point we need him near, to know that he is with us, to know that he is God, and that we are not, that we can let go. That we can even walk out into the very storm itself, because even with all of our skill and our experience, and everyone looking to us to have solutions, we are still in reality and truth the whole time, before and after we let go. We are in need of Christ holding us up above the water. My invitation this morning is an invitation to let go, to let go of stubborn pride, keeping you from accepting Christ in the first place. <coughs> Letting go of the fear of being taken in by a religion you don't fully understand yet. Letting go of feeling like you aren't, like if you aren't strong enough to hold everything up, that life is just going to crash down, not just for you, but for the people around you. Letting go of needing to be perfect and put together, or at least seeming that way. Letting go of needing to be the one helping, instead of being the one who needs help. And in your weakness... I pray that you would find the strength of our Lord. Oh, love, light the way home. Light up my soul. I choose mercy instead of control. My life is on loan. Forgive and let go. I embrace a belief I don't know. What a beautiful sound to lay your life down. Your forgiveness is where I am found. Here in your arms, I finally let down. I am lightning, and you are the ground. Give me the strength to let go. The strength to surrender. Surrender. Give me the strength to stop holding on. I have been holding on for so long. Won't you give me the strength to let go? Pray with me briefly. Father God, please give us wisdom. 
You say you give it to all without finding fault. God, I pray you would give us the wisdom to know, Lord, when to stand firm and when to let go. God, I pray you would give us the strength to be weak. God, give us your strength, which enabled you to enter yourself, God, and enter into weakness, God, enter into our sins. God, give us your humility that allows you over and over again to relinquish power. God, to have a crowd be shouting to make you king and send them away. Lord, go up on a mountain alone to pray to you. I pray that you would be with each of us this day as we go out into the various places where we occupy in the world, God. We pray that we would take you with us, God, of your truth with us, that your truth and your word today, Lord, would begin to transform our lives. God, that you would make us a people who are weak and dependent upon your strength. God, that you would make us a people who can admit that we are sinful and dependent upon your forgiveness. God, that you'd make us a people who are able to admit that we ought to be on the outside. Lord, so that we can praise you for welcoming us in. Lord, and we do praise you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. I would encourage you to respond in some way. Every time the word of God is preached, it calls us. I would encourage you to stand and sing or pray where you are. I'll be in the back if you want to pray with me. But I would encourage you in some way to respond. Please stand and join me in the singing of the doxology. <laughs> 